stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. This woman lives, breathes, and embodies financial independence, not just for you, but for your family. Yet we know, and she knows, that so many women and their families don't have it. They spend too much, save too little, and then struggle when the world around them changes. But this woman today that I'm going to be interviewing knows it can be different. And it is in this space that her greatness shines. She never gives up on showing you how to have money, manage money, and experience the security it can bring. It is my pleasure to welcome one of the world's greatest women, Sharon Lecter. Hi, Sharon. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Annette. It's my pleasure and honor to be with you. I'm excited for today's program. So let's get right to the heart of who you are. You have been a woman who has had so much success from co-authoring more than a dozen books with Robert Kawasaki and the Napoleon Hill Foundation to being on the advisory council for financial literacy for President Bush and Obama, to the strong teaching platform you created called Pay Your Family First. Yet I sense after decades of success, your work is not done. Tell me what drives you now, Sharon. Well, every single day um, as I was, well, growing up, my father would ask me each night, Sharon, have you added value to someone's life today? And he's been gone for 14 and a half years, but I still ask myself that every night. And yes, I don't need to be doing what I'm doing financially, but it's a passion of mine to give people the tools to create success. Because when it comes to money, you're either in control of it or it's in control of you. And too many people have their lives controlled by bad debt, by bad financial decisions, because they didn't learn about money in school. And so my anger comes from not teaching kids about money in school. It's been my passion since 1992, and it's still I'm as passionate about it today as it was back then, to make sure we have the tools to create financial confidence on our way to financial freedom. And, and it's so desperately needed now more than ever, Sharon. So you've been quoted as saying, success is how you feel about yourself when you look in the mirror at night. And it has nothing to do with reflection. So this is my question for you. Have you always seen yourself as a success when you looked in the mirror? Or has this been a journey for you? Well, I think uh, success is a journey. And you have goals. You have definite a purpose, according to Napoleon Hill, talking about achieving success and giving back. I've also always been very driven. So yes, I might be happy with what I've created or where I've been, but there's always the next the next goal. What more can I do? And so that that internal drive gets gets uh, pushed in the right direction and I continue striving to support others. And today really my my measurement of success when I look in the mirror is not um, where I am, but where the people that I influence become and how my mentoring clients are doing. Their success is how I measure my success today. And that's how the loop is closed, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I want to go back to the beginning for you. What kind of environment did you grow up in? And what were the messages that you heard as a young woman? Well, as I just shared, the first one was, have you added value to someone's life today every single night? 
but I grew up in a very lower middle class home. My father was retired Navy. Neither one of my parents had high school graduation degrees. And yet my mom um, owned her own beauty shop. My dad was, had a used car lot. We lived in a little tiny house between the two. We had rental properties that we had to go scrub out the bathrooms between tenants. <laughs> we, had orange, we had orange groves. Uh, we, I, I was literally steeped in an entrepreneurial environment and swore I would never be an entrepreneur. I was the youngest of two daughters, and my parents' goal in life was that we would have college educations. So I got my degree in accounting. I went off to Atlanta to start my career in public accounting, one of the very first women, and I'm upwardly mobile, just hot stuff, feeling, feeling my own oats. But about the right age of 25, I said, you know, I'm working awfully hard for someone else. If I'm going to work this hard, I should be working for myself. All of a sudden, my parents looked a whole lot smarter than they had when I was at home. And it's like crazy. So that's at, twi- at 25, one of my clients called and asked me to join him in, in purchasing the company. And um, I never looked back. I've been an entrepreneur ever since. So no regrets on that front? No. Actually, the, that initial decision um, was a very bad decision. But I tell people, you know, Napoleon Hill says out of every adversity comes a seed of an equal or greater benefit. Well, when I made the decision to leave, I was trying, it was doing the old pros and cons and it didn't help me a bit. And my hand kind of wrote across my page where I was trying to do pros and cons and said, why not? And that's really been my guiding philosophy even today. Why not do something different? Why not take that path less traveled? Why not solve a problem or serve a need? The true success of an entrepreneur is your company solves a problem or serves a need. But that particular decision turned out to be a very bad business decision. But had I not made that decision, I would not have met a young man named Michael Lecter, and we just celebrated 40 years of marriage. So as Napoleon says, out of every adversity comes the seed of an equal or greater benefit. Well, my adversity of making a bad decision in the business gave me my best life decision. So we go through life. Life is a journey. It is that. It is that. And around every corner, there seems to be a surprise sometimes. It's like that box of chocolates, right? You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So before I, I move to the next question, I want to explore a little bit what you just said for a second. You talked about your humble beginnings. So you didn't, you didn't grow up with a lot of role models to push you along as a professional woman, but you did grow up with parents that told you you basically could do anything you put your mind to, is what I'm hearing you say. In fact, they Absolutely. pushed you to, to go in that direction. And certainly that was a big deal for you in terms of how you grew up, having that positive reinforcement and that continuous nudge, even though you didn't have role models of a parent in terms of gone out and been professional successes and so on and so forth. But what I'm getting around to is at that 25 year age, when you made that bad business decision, what was within you that kept that from knocking you off your game? You were very young, very impressionable. Oh, well, I was, I was terrified because I'd just gotten my CPA certificate. And when I got to this company, I found all kinds of corruption. It was a company we were buying out of bankruptcy so I was scared to death that I was going to lose my CPA license. So I ran away for a couple of weeks trying to figure out what the next chapter was going to look like. Because I could easily have gone back to the public accounting firm I left because we left on very good terms. 
but it was like I didn't want to do that because I felt that would be taking a step back. And I came back to the company knowing I had to leave, not knowing what the next chapter would be. And Michael was there doing and working on the lawsuit. That we, um, the company that we were purchased had been involved in some litigation. And he was on the other side. And we literally met when he was in my office going through documents. And it was love at first sight. And so I didn't have a long time to um, squat. I, it took me a while to figure out how to extricate myself from that company, but I immediately had a better vision of my future because of meeting Michael. So I was blessed in the fact that my, as I said, my worst business decision gave me my best life decision. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to move in just a little bit different direction here. For 10 years, you were instrumental as a co-author and business leader in the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series of books. Yet you never got the credit you deserved until you engaged in a legal battle. So what did this experience teach you that you can share as advice for women listening today? Well, I think you have to stand in your own power. And um, we were equal partners. And I was co-author on the first on 15 books that we did together during that 10-year period. And my name and picture were on all the books. And um, he was really the mouthpiece. And it was a decision that I made at the time because I still had children at home mm-hmm. that uh, I didn't want to be on the road. And he was kind of, you know, he's a big dog. He, you know, he kind of liked the limelight. And I was never about becoming a celebrity. It's never been one of my goals. I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, he used to refer to he was the horn and I was the engine. And that's probably a pretty good description. Um, I built it. I ran the company. I made the deals. I helped us go around the world. And he was doing a lot of talk speeches and interviews and stuff. I was doing some myself as well, but it was a big job to to build the company as a CEO. And so people within the organization certainly knew who I was. I never felt that I didn't get credit for it. I didn't demand um, celebrity status. And that was okay with me at the time. You know, when we actually um, did, when I made the decision to leave, we were in litigation for a year. And since then, and he settled and that was fine. You know, unfortunately, we had to get to that point. But my message to every woman is stand in your own power. I wasn't willing to be um, pushed aside. Now, since then, I have made another decision. And that was he made the choice to take my name and my pictures off the books. So books that have been published and printed in the last six, seven, eight years don't have my name on them. And that does not make me happy. He's actually violating our settlement agreement. And I could go after him, but I don't want that negativity in my life. And so I've made a choice of I design my own future. I design what I want out of life. And Rich Dad would not be popular, would not have made the impact it has today without both of us. I couldn't have done it without him and he couldn't have done it without me. And so the impact is what I want to see. The fact that, you know, my name may, may not be a household name in every household, that's, that's never been a goal of mine. But I know where the messaging came from. I know who created it and how and who made sure it was out there where everybody could find it. And so you, you have to have a personal goal. And I, mine was never to be um, the celebrity, never, never been a goal of mine, still isn't. But I want to make an impact. And if that means becoming more well-known, 
I can impact more people, then that's what I'm doing. do shy away from being the front runner for all kinds of reasons, because they don't need it, because it's an interruption of their privacy, all those things that I'm sure are going through your head and probably many of our listeners, and I know the same has been for me. And there there comes a point where it's like you, you can't stay in that space. You have to step forward and be willing to get into the limelight, and because that is the place of influence, mm-hmm. whether we like it or not. And um, you know, there's there's a definition of ego, right? Um, ego is bad. Well, all not all ego is bad. No. I mean, if you have if you have a strong self worth and a strong self, and you stand in your own power, you have an ego. All right. But there are a lot of people that want use their ego to to have power over others. Right, and elevate it, themselves only. Yeah, I want my ego to empower others. And to share what is possible for them in their world. And that's really important to me because um, I have a personal success equation that was in my book, Three Feet from Gold, which talks about your passion and your talent. And most of us stop there. We try to do everything on our own. Mm -hmm. Then it says times A, power of association, times A, taking action, plus F, faith. Faith in yourself, faith in what you're doing, faith that is needed and necessary. And every one of my clients, I walk them through this formula. And women in particular don't have the right associations. You know, they're, they're shying away. They think they have to do everything on their own. And so I help them establish stronger associations, having a mentor to help speed your way to success, and then faith and confidence in themselves invariably those are the two areas that I have to work the most with women entrepreneurs to understand. And when you have the right people around you, your self-confidence elevates right away. And so that's so important. And when, there are only 4.2% of women-owned businesses that make over a million dollars a year. <laughs> I think that's even, I think that's even dropped down the last statistics yeah. I saw. Yes. I think it's under 3% the last one yeah. they did. It's horrible. It's horrible. And, and we have to take it and move it in that direction. We have to get more women um, standing in their power and working together collaboratively to create that success. Men, when I ask them, they'll tell me, I'm an expert at this. I'm an expert at this. Women, they say, oh, I'm pretty good at it. I want everyone, you are an expert, whatever you do. Nobody's had your life. Nobody's walked in your shoes. Nobody's had your successes or your learning opportunities. Mm -hmm. You are an expert, but let's take your expertise and create you into the authority so that you can help even more people. Absolutely. And you know, and and women are natural givers in so many ways, which leads me to this next question. I know you feel passionate about giving back. I knew that when I talked to you at first and as I researched it, it's been obvious that you that's been very much a part of your life and that you're very much known as a, a very generous philanthropist. But your ability to gain wealth though, has, as you say, being a master of money as opposed to a slave to money, that certainly has allowed you to be so generous. But I often see women get this backwards. They see themselves as ones who should serve, but they don't realize that gaining wealth allows them to be that generous giver. What are your thoughts on this? 
Well, it, it, it starts back to your mindset about money. Okay. A lot of women that have that philosophy probably feel embarrassed when, by their success. Um, they've attached money with the emotion of greed. And it's not money that's evil. It's the love of money that's evil. And so when women can understand that you can do more if you do well, right? So the, more, the better you do, the more you can give. And once you start seeing that and changing your mindset, because what they're, they're still sitting in a mindset of scarcity. And I want to help shift them to a mindset of abundance. And a lot of it comes from when we're kids. We heard, th- heard things like money doesn't grow on trees, pinch your pennies, save for a rainy day, we can't afford it. All of those things are negative. So we grow up hearing money negative, money negative, money negative. We don't learn about money in school. So, of course, we develop this mindset of scarcity. And so we're afraid we're never going to have enough money. And then when we become successful, we're afraid we're going to lose it. Or we're embarrassed that we're successful. A fear of success is a big one, particularly in the women you're talking about, where they've created success, but they're kind of embarrassed about it. It's like, okay, you know, it's important to understand you can do more for other people if you do well in your own chosen field. That is something that we both need to keep driving home to women because so many women give, give, and give to the point of exhaustion not realizing that if they put some of that effort toward the wealth, they can be more generous givers for sure. And part of that, is I do an exercise, Annette, that uh, in every group of women I get, and I have them write down one word descriptors of who they are. Say, who are you? Use one word descriptors. And invariably, no matter where I am, countries, whatever language is being spoken, it's the same results. And when I did it, I was the same way. I wrote down wife, mother, daughter, author, entrepreneur. Um, I did not write my own name. And fewer than two out of 100 women will write their own name because we judge ourselves through the roles we play. Absolutely. I judge myself as, am I a good mom? Am I a good wife? Am I a good author? Am I a good entrepreneur? And it's, it's because we end up tend to put ourselves last we, we look at the roles we play. We judge ourselves through the eyes of other people. Well, my husband think I'm a good wife. And because of that, we hold ourselves back. And I still work on this because I, something that's huge for me. I realize if I work and become a stronger Sharon, a more successful and confident Sharon, I will become a better wife, a better mother, a better entrepreneur, a better author. And I'll live longer because I'm not stressed out all the time. (laughs) So that's something women need to think about. Because if you're watching and listening to this, and you did that that challenge, I bet you didn't write your own name. And so pay attention. Stop judging yourself through the roles you play. Take care of yourself first. And that is wonderful advice. Thank you for for letting me hear that out of your mouth, because I say that and, and, and I, people look at me like I'm crazy sometimes. And you're, you're mirroring exactly what women need to understand. So the last question I have for you, Sharon, is you have been a woman moving through the business world that is very much set by male standards. What would you say has been your biggest challenge and how did it not derail you? 
Well, I think that's a great question, Annette, because I do have a different um, philosophy about that. And again, my parents raised me to say that I could do anything I wanted to. I was only the fourth woman ever hired by Coopers and Librand back then, one of the big eight in public accounting in the Southeast United States. But I never saw that as um, a negative. I saw it as an opportunity. And I recognized and accepted at that point in time, the reality was I had to work a little harder because I was going in with something a lot of people had a chip on their shoulder that women were, you know, stepping into that world. But I took it as a challenge to outperform and to be in to succeed. And I think one of the reasons I wrote Think and Grow Rich for Women was I was kind of getting tired of the dialogue. So many women complaining and criticizing the men that stand in their way. And I said, what do you do? You know, what do you attract when you're complaining and criticizing? Nothing good. But if you start celebrating the progress that we have made as women, you celebrate our progress and celebrate the men who have helped us along the way, because there are a lot of them. Mm -hmm. What do you attract? More positive. You have more advancement more quickly than if you're always complaining. So the reason I wrote Think and Grow Rich was to change that dialogue to talk about it's time that we celebrate each other and that we support each other. And as women, we stand tall. I have over 300 women in the book because I'm so passionate about changing that dialogue because we're just vitriol and hatred and anger. You know, we get the greatest results when both men and women are at the table. Absolutely. I love working with men. I do too. <laughs> yeah, but it's when we come together we get the greatest results because we are different. Our brains operate differently. And we tend to be, you know, we better problem solvers. We use both sides of our brains. Our guys kind of hang out in one direction or the other, but they're much better decision makers. And so that you combine those strengths and talents, you get the greatest result. And I think you and I had, had spoke briefly before this interview about the desperate need there is for a balance of male and female leadership energies. And because I find, as you have found, that when you get those blended together in the right way, magic really happens. I mean, everything is possible. Everything's possible. Because now you're on the the best from both perspectives, which is... Yeah, it should not be either or. It should be the unique talents of both coming together. Absolutely. And you know what? The facts are there. You know, has done the research, a, a corporate board that has, you know, ah. women on it outperform boards that don't have women. And so, it's not just one or two percent. It's like 15 percent increase in the bottom line for the boards right. that are diversified. Yes. So you, you, you start to think, why wouldn't why wouldn't every company put effort for but that? Do you, but do you think a board of old white guys are going to respond better to a group of women yelling at them and criticizing them or a group of women there saying, you know, we want to support you and we want to support a stronger company with a better line. Which side of that fence are they going to pay attention to? Right. We because sometimes shoot ourselves in the foot because we're complaining all the time. Well, and when we go into that behavior, those boardroom of those old white guys immediately label us we're one of those women mm-hmm. and they shut down and the conversation ends very quickly. They may be looking at you, but they're already some other space. They're not listening to where all they're hearing is blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah, it discounted immediately. It discounted immediately. So is there any closing thought that you would like to share, Sharon, that we haven't covered? Anything that you want to? Well, I think the, the, the last chapter of my book, Thinking Courage for Women, is something that I added. It was not in the original book, and it's called One Big Life. I think women tend to stress out about work-life balance, and I actually don't believe work-life balance exists. That means we're not moving. Right? And we are always moving. Women are multitaskers. And what happens when you start worrying about work-life balance, you're worrying about something that happened yesterday or something about something that has or has not happened yet and may not happen at all. And so to, I have this definition to worry is to pray for what you don't want. Think about that. To mm-hmm. worry is to pray for what you do not want. All right. And so I happen to be a champion warrior. My mother was the queen of worry. But when I had that definition, it helped me recalibrate. When I catch myself worrying about something, I just had a health challenge. I was worried. I catch myself and say, okay, instead of focusing on the negative outcome, retool my brain and focus on what I want to have happen. And it's magical. And so when women are worried about work-life balance, They're using precious time today about something that happened yesterday. Maybe they didn't have enough time with their kids. And I go, all you need to do is make a different decision today. Because our life is not just work life. It's our health. It's our spiritual life, our financial life, our community, our partners, our children. All of those create who we are. We have one big life. So seek to live one big life and know that if, Yesterday, you didn't spend enough time with your kids. You just make a different choice today. So don't think about work-life balance. Think about living one big life. And that's the last chapter in Thinking Courage for Women. And it's so important. Those are the two reasons I actually wrote the book. One is to change the dialogue to one of positivity and celebration of what we've accomplished. And to get rid of work-life balance and replace it with one big life. And it is a fabulous book, by the way. So any of you listening, if you haven't read Think and Grow Rich for Women by Sharon Lecter, please pick it up because it's it's definitely, it's a, it's an engaging read. It's informative. Uh, it'll make you laugh a few times. So please do that. Sharon, thank you so much. And, and I want to wrap up by saying to all of you listening that Sharon is a great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. 